Welcome to the Whole Maya's Coffee Podcast with Elena Sadi and Cindy Felkel. Hi guys, welcome. I'm super excited you are joining us on Hone My Ice Coffee today. We have a really incredible interview to share with you. It's the story of my friend Amanda Zuschmidt and I was a teacher with her many years ago <laughs> and she shares a story of having a baby uh, very prematurely and it's an incredible story. But I have to share some things with you before we share her interview because it actually brought up some stuff for me that I wasn't really (laughs) expecting it to bring up. And as I said, today's March 19th and I'm getting ready to post this interview and you'll notice in the interview that we talk about her New Year's resolutions and that's because I recorded this interview on the first week in January. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I didn't even know really what it was that I was wrestling through, but deep down, I, I had some like issues that I had buried in my relationship with God because I was like, I know Amanda's story is hard and I know all this stuff, but I also look at her son and I see these pictures of this just an adorable kid that he is. And I'm like, I had a miscarriage and I was never allowed to grieve that. Like three weeks afterwards, somebody said to me, oh, you're still upset about that. I realized that I didn't know what to do with all of that when I heard her story. And I think it's because people in America don't know what to do with grief. And that's the deal. And so It's just stuff it, pretend everything's okay, claim that you have faith. And so for me, like all those years of stuffing it didn't make the hurt go away. But what I realized and I was able to work through is her story also shows the beauty of what I lost. And I was able to sit and pray about it and think through it with God and realize that God cared and that I need it to, to just be sad about that. I actually lost something very dear to me. As you listen to her story, maybe that's not your issue, but I just want to encourage you to, to really hear all that this lady went through and what a strong person she is, but God gave her that strength. It's don't romanticize her story she was broken and she depended on God and he brought her through all of this stuff. And I think that what I went through hearing her story is the beauty that comes up as we share our stories. All of our stories bring up the hurts in each other. And I always say that our pain unites us with the heart of God And I think that's a beautiful thought, but sometimes in the middle of grief, it's like, how does that help me? (laughs) Well, and I think I want to be clear about that. And I, as I grow in my understanding that when we are going through hurt and we are honest about it with ourselves, that we can reach out to God and just spend time with him and let him comfort us. And the other thing that I see is when we are honest about our heart and we're brave enough to share it in a community, it unites us with each other at the deepest level. It's like God brings the most 
beautiful thing into our lives out of the deepest heart. Because when we are connected with people who grieve with us, it is the deepest level of connection. And I think it's incredibly beautiful. And it's what God intended. It builds the community that Jesus intended for his believers. It's why he spoke so harshly against hypocrisy. We need to be real and share our stories. And this story today is a beautiful example of that. And I just wanted to say before we even get started, if it brings up grief for you, please reach out to us or people around you and share it. I am praying for all of you listening that you find connection with this story and with a supportive community of believers and with God for whatever you are going through today. So here is the interview Elena and I did with Amanda Zuschmidt, who is a professor at Lancaster Bible College. She was a good friend of mine when I used to teach at a Christian school. So I was there with her when she went through this crisis and saw a little bit of the incredible woman she is and the faith that she has, which got her through all of the story that she's about to share. So I wanted to get started on at Hold My Ice Coffee. One of the things that we are really talking about a lot is just valuing our stories and valuing ourselves. And through that, I think it empowers us to value other people more. And but I really wanted to share your story with Owen and I get chills every year when you you post about the on his birthday and and just how how crazy it is that he is doing so well because I remember getting the call and going to see you in the hospital and I was like crying all the way there like there's no way like I I just thought there was no way that he was going to make it and I mean it it I was just so scared for you and for him. And I remember sitting in the hall and all that. So I'm terrible with the details of it. So I'd like you to um, share as much as you want to of that story. Sure. So I was pregnant. I actually found out we were teaching together at a Christian school in Rhode Island. And I found out the day before I was supposed to start teaching at my new job that I was pregnant, uh, not planned at all. And so I remember telling our headmaster as we were we were getting ready to move some soccer goals, like really heavy soccer goals that I probably shouldn't be lifting. And I was like, um, I need to tell you something. And he was like, oh, okay. Um, so my due date was April 25th. And so I figured, you know, I would be teaching and being big, very large and round by the end of the spring. But we were, you know, we were excited for it because I figured I would have, the, you know, I would have my, the spring off for maternity leave and I have the summer and I had, grandiose plans in my own mind that I would maybe try to come back part-time and work from home. and But definitely God had different plans. And so I came down to Pennsylvania to visit my family. Um, my husband at the time was not able to get off work. So he stayed up in Connecticut. And so I came down, but I had been having like a lot of edema and swelling. And it was just, I remember my parents saw me and they're like, oh my goodness. And so uh, long story short, so I stayed down there. I had to buy new sneakers. I was a PE teacher at this school, but I couldn't even fit my feet into the sneakers. So I had to get those really awesome, you know, open heeled. <laughs> and so I drove back up on the on December 30th for just a regular prenatal appointment. And long story short, they didn't even let me walk out of the 
the office and they wheeled me out to the nearest hospital, which was not an acute care hospital. And it only took babies that were over 25 weeks. And I was 23 and four at the time. And so um, through the midst of a snowstorm, they transferred me down to Yale New Haven Hospital, um, about an hour away from our house, and tried to keep tried to keep me from um, essentially having seizures. So I had preeclampsia. Um, and, and most women that get preeclampsia get it in their third trimester, but I was only in my second trimester. Um, so I didn't, I wasn't feeling any of the symptoms, but they just kept, you know, checking me for, they gave me medicine to try to keep me from having seizures and try to keep my heart rate down. My blood pressure was through the roof. I mean, I was fine, but the, the goal was, I learned later on, was to try to get me to 28 weeks. Um, I only made it a couple more days and I had him uh, January 3rd. 2010 via emergency C-section because I think I started to throw up uh, in the room there. And so I still remember them running me down the hallway, uh, you know, high risk OBGYNs, not just walking, but like running me down the hallway and um, delivered him emergency C-section. And so I still remember him. I remember them showing him to me or my, or my husband at the time took pictures. They didn't show him to me. They, he took pictures and he just like some little small red alien. Uh, didn't really look like a baby necessarily. And then toward the end of that, I actually started to kind of convulse a little bit. And so like they um, had to clear the room out and people came running in and they had to put me out fully under. And this is about 10 minutes after I had had him. So um, I don't really know what all was happening, but they were just like yelling and screaming and like closer up. And my husband at the time later on told me he thought he was dying. Like there was blood all over the, all over the place and um, just kind of a crazy and wild story. So yeah, so he was born at 24 weeks exactly. And he weighed um, 14 ounces and was 10 inches long. So I think they gave, they didn't tell me that night, but they wheeled me on the stretcher to go look at him. Um, cause I wasn't even, I was still, I mean, you, Cindy were feeding me ice chips cause I was, <laughs> I hadn't drank anything in like four or five days. I was on IV fluids, but, um, you know, they gave him a 5% chance of living that night. And, but just, you know, day after day, we kept coming back. He was the smallest, the tiniest always. I didn't realize till later on that he was, um, most nurses had two babies in this acute care and we had one or one nurse for, one baby for I say the first few months and so it just was one thing one day at a time and um, no brain bleeds no organ troubles most babies this small don't even survive and so yeah so it was a bit of a wild story and just took time after time to kind of watch him grow and make decisions and do all sorts of things you know I still remember asking the nurse uh, when can I take him home? And she's like, um, not for a long time, honey. So, How long was he in the hospital? Uh, total was about eight and a half months. So from his birth till we brought him home. And were you able to touch him through any kind of isolate or how did that work? So I don't think I still have a picture. I keep it in my office actually for perspective because really there's no really bad days. Like bad days were back then. So um, if I think, oh, I'm frustrated or like, I just, it's right above my head um, on a little shelf in my office at work. And um, because those were rough days, like things nowadays that we deal with are not rough days, but um, 
Yeah. So the first picture I have is me holding him and he was able to fit um, in my two hands with his little legs um, over. And, and that was the day that he was about a month old. So it was the first time I actually held him. I just held him in my hands to weigh them. They would, you know, pick them up, clear the bed and then kind of put them back down. And that's how they would weigh them. But eventually I was able to do kangaroo care where you, he would, you know, he could, I you know, have a buttoned up shirt and he would fit right inside my shirt. And so um, those are very sweet moments. We have lots of pictures from those. But in the very beginning, I think it was just maybe touching his hand because any kind of touch or sensation would just kind of send them, you know, their heart rate increase and all that. So just quietly talking to him and I slept. But yeah, he was in there for about five months or so um, after Mother's Day. So about five months later, um, they gave him a trach. Um, just so that he could develop in his mouth orally. So he was trached for the next two years. Wow. I was wondering, what did you learn about God at that time? Or where where was your mind at that time? How did you get through that? So my parents came up and um, they were actually came up the night, like we called them that Sunday. They drove through a snowstorm, a blizzard, or less. Uh, what's usually a four and a half hour ride took them almost six hours, but they were there about an hour before I, I had him. And and my dad kind of said, um, he's like, you know, we kind of need like a theme. We need something to kind of get us through. And so I think they went and printed something out and said, with God, all things are possible. They had it printed out and had just put like a red heart on it. I think I still have that and kind of put that on his isolate. And so because we thought, you know, with God, you know, anything really is possible. but I didn't really understand the full ramifications, I think, until, you know, maybe like a month in and realizing, okay, we're going to be here for a long time. You know, they tried to extubate him, tried to take the tubes out, and you could just see him, like, working to breathe. And, okay, when are you going to put the tubes back in? Like, you know, because he was just totally struggling. He thought, this is going to, we're going to be here for, for quite some time. So I think it was just God's faithfulness, because sometimes it was just, getting up and getting a shower, <laughs> getting getting ready for the day and to just go in and hear, you know, his progress. It was ever changing. You know, we lived in a, or I lived in a Ronald McDonald house for about seven months. So we were in there every day. So and I would always go back at night and cry every single time. Grieving the loss, you know, for his life and for and for what we were having to go through. So it was just I just remember holding him and just always having like little tears. Um, Something that I remember from that time was I remember the the picture that you were talking about standing there looking at this tiny, tiny baby. And Mm -hmm. it says the picture said with God, all things are possible. And I just remember standing there thinking my faith is so tiny. I couldn't, I, I just couldn't imagine what has actually happened. I couldn't picture mm-hmm. it at that time. And I get chills every time I see how far he's come um, since that time. So I, I love the story. I mean, that, and that's a very large um, NICU up there. And so I still keep in contact with those nurses. And he's really still one of the smallest surviving, thriving kiddos. I mean, most, you know, I used to be involved in with March of Dimes for quite some time. And they had a, they would have a special acknowledgement of angel babies. And they're always like 24 weeks. They're bigger. They're older than him. And these are all, you know, preemies that 
you know, that don't really survive. And here he is, exactly 24 weeks, less than a pound. We actually really the size of a of a 23 weeker. So because when they delivered him, they said, well, he's actually like, oh, he's a lot smaller than we thought. So because of the preeclampsia, although he was 24 weeks, he was even smaller. You know that he's you know he didn't have brain bleeds, he didn't have organ problems, and and I would say that there was a lot of death certainly within that within that NICU. We were in the, the highest acute room. You know, we would go out, you got something and come back and there were like, you know, there would be a you know, if there was other micropremies and they would be gone. And that's also very thankful because it really could have been it could have been a lot worse for him. So as, yeah. as you know, as acute as his diagnosis was and everything, it, it could have been you know, he should have had cerebral palsy. I mean they gave me the the rundown. Uh, blind, deaf, spina bifida, I mean, you name it, it was. So I know that you very open about sharing your story and something that I struggle with and I just want your input on when you have survived something like that and you know, it's not because you deserve it or that there's something super special about you and sorry, I like you, but <laughs> you're not like just the super holy and you get a pass on the sure. hardships of life. So how do you share that hope with people without hurting people who didn't get um, the results that you got? I think the biggest thing is I use it with my students um, because, you know, I teach at Lancaster Bible College. And so I was a student there once as well. Um, and so I'm able to say, you know, I sat in the same classroom and I never thought, you know, I'd moved to Guam after I got my master's degree and was teaching over there and traveling. And then who knew I would come and have a 14 ounce baby and then be divorced and from a cheating husband and living in Pennsylvania. And here I am but like back full circle. And so I kind of tell them, you know, it's, it's amazing to tell my story every year because it changes and it's gotten better. Um, but this, you know, the struggle is still there. Um, I'm way more compassionate than, um, than I ever would have been. I think when people understand deep hurt and go through it, um, I just say that, you know, to remain faith, I just encourage students to remain faithful. Um, because God was faithful to me. I didn't see it at the time. You know, there was many tears shed and much heartbrokenness, but God can make something beautiful out of, out of a mess, out of a messy situation or a sticky situation. And so Mm. it was my relationship with the Lord that got me through everything. It wasn't, it wasn't, you know, pull myself up by my bootstraps. Come on, I'm going to do this. You know, it it wasn't that. Like sometimes it was just getting up and getting, you know, a shower and getting like dressed. And it was all, you know, and just showing up and waiting for God to slowly work in my heart. Um, And it's still, and it's still a struggle. There's some things going on. Um, My husband is actually, we're in the process of um, my ex-husband has released custody and my current husband is going to be adopting Owen. And so you know, the process was supposed to take three months. It's been over five months now. And I think initially I was very hurt because how could you, you know, you're rejecting my child. How could you say, you know, he lives six hours away. He hasn't seen him in five years. And the initial part was, how could you reject? That's my baby. Like, how could you not want to see him? How could you not want to be part of his life? But then I have, I married this amazing, incredible man who tells my kid that he loves him. He tells him that he's like my son. He calls him his son and says, you know, and says, I love you and and shows it day in and day out. And so, and wants, you know, and his, his two daughters are so excited and 
They also didn't understand why his own father wouldn't want to see him, but they're excited and want to be there for the day of the adoption whenever it happens. And and I think for me, it's, you know, it's the full picture of what Christ has done for us, you know, that he, he sent his own son, you know, he sent his own son to die for sins, you know, my own sins and, you know, to give up his own son to do that. It's, it's really powerful. And so the whole story of Owen um, it's just it's just gotten sweeter and sweeter every year. Not without its struggles, but um, it's been kind of a beautiful story of you know the redemption of God. So, wow, that was amazing. Yeah, we're still taking that in. Um, <laughs> what would you like our listeners to know about supporting kids with autism and ADHD? Is there something that comes to mind about that? I don't know. I think, I think for me, it's just being as inclusive as possible. So I try, um, our nurses and doctors through the ventilator, you know, the home ventilator program, the trade program, I just said, you know, make sure you take him out and do as much things as possible. So, um, I tried to really not hold back with him when we first, he was trained. I mean, we had a 35 pound ventilator, oxygen, a suction machine, a pulse oximeter. I mean, we look like a, a sideshow. But we, I took him to the mall. I mean, not that he knew, but like we took him everywhere and anywhere. We took him to the farm show. We had multiple emergencies at the farm show and different places where we're like bagging him and giving him oxygen and all this crazy nonsense. But um, it was really important for me just to get him out and to experience as much as possible. And so over the years, I mean, I put him in swimming lessons a few years ago and He's going to go to for his piano lesson today, which is crazy and doing really well. And so even small things like putting him in the grass and the sand. I mean, he loves swimming. He loves the beach. Um, those were intentional things. I always gave him a little tubby bath. I was able to do, you know, had to learn his care, but I always made sure to give him like a bath. He loves the water. In fact, he, he now insists as of a few weeks ago that he uses our jacuzzi um, he doesn't want the, the regular tub anymore. He now wants the jacuzzi with the jets. So to go <laughs> fill up our jacuzzi and he hangs down there with his toys and he's a little upset that all the bubble, all the jets aren't working. And I said, okay, we'll get daddy to look at it because the jets are not like full blast. I mean, so I think that I like to get him out. You know, when we had passes to a local amusement park, kids like amusement park, and we go there all the time. So just getting him out and giving him a, a full life. For sure. So uh, another thing that we wanted to talk about, and just to really pry into your personal life, (laughs) (laughs) is I have been super impressed with how you valued yourself and your son through dating after feeling the rejection of divorce. So I just want you to talk about that a little bit and how you found the strength to, to hold out for Worth Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> we were separated for about two years. And, and so while he continued to date and do God knows what, um, you know, I just said that one, even though we're um, separated, like I'm not divorced yet, but, you know, I still, you know, I really, I actually went to a counselor about this and he, he said something kind of profound. He said, well, it doesn't really seem that you're grieving the loss of your ex-husband. It's like you're grieving the loss of your marriage. I was like, yeah, I really, you know, because I valued the, you know, I valued the marriage. I waited, you know, I was 20, 27 or 28, 28 when I got married. So, you know, I I was, was really grieving the loss of the marriage, not the, 
the actual person I married because things are already difficult anyway. So I knew that, and with Owen, I knew we had always kind of talked. I remember sharing with my mom, it's going to take somebody super extra special. Like who's going to come into my life that wants, you know, a woman with a child who has autism and severe ADHD. Like that's, you know, that's not just any Joe Schmo off the street, <laughs> you know, and he might always live with me. And so we don't know. He, he could very well go either way, but there's a real chance. And anybody that I had talked to or was interested, I was very clear and upfront and say, you know, this could be, this could be for a lifetime. Like, I don't know what, you know, what the future holds. And so, I mean, there was, a couple first dates and you know like and I did it all online because I was a busy working professional by the time I didn't have time to like I was you know my husband was ex-husband was four, five six hours away so I I had him 100% of the time I think when I finally met Brian I would had more or less almost given up by then because I had met some guys nice guys but like they were always had like too much baggage and I'm like like they thought their problems were like the end-all be-all and I'm like I have a kid that was less than a pound and I mean I wouldn't say that to him but in my head I'm thinking okay if you can't handle this how are you going to handle what I have to deal with so or just had like unrealistic goals Um, but I I really kind of and I wanted to find somebody that if they were divorced that they were divorced for the right reasons and so um, and so my husband my current husband was also cheated on as well and so not that we bonded over that but um, we both kind of under, understood where each other came from. I was the first person he dated. Um, it was, I think it had been four and a half years for him. And he had been um, single. And um, actually, so I was the first person. I dated a few other, like two other guys, but it was always kind of at a distance. I think I broke up with both of them. <laughs> like one was like two weeks. And I was like, you have way too much drama. I can't deal with that. And the other guy like lived too far away and wanted me to, to be a stay at home mom and homeschool. And I was like, oh, no, that's never going to happen. So, um, <laughs> like I'm a teacher. Like I'm not going to stay home and homeschool. Sorry. <laughs> I love that. I'm all day. So like no way. Like, um, I, I don't know. I'm a teacher. I don't believe in homeschooling. Sorry. I just, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think. Um, I, I really definitely had high st- and I had to have almost higher standards because I was a mom and I was a mom of a special needs kid. So it, it couldn't just be somebody that, that fit the bill for me. It had to be somebody that fit the bill for, for Owen as well. And who's going to step in and be a father, a father figure to him. So, and he also has two girls too. And I remember him asking me before he said, what kind of mother are you going to be to my girls? And I was like, I don't know. I've never had girls. Before. <laughs> I didn't say that, but in my head, I was like, oh, I don't know. So I had to date a couple toads before I got to the real prince. <laughs> Who would you say um, is holding your iced coffee? Who's holding your iced coffee and whose iced coffee are you holding? Like who is supporting you and who are you supporting? Obviously you're a huge support to your son who's now 10, right? He's around. Um, How would you, you mentioned your friends, but how would you uh, answer that for us? I think for this, it was very difficult actually for my mom. So, you know, we live, we moved down to Pennsylvania while Owen was still trained and vented down in, in July, and then he came home September 17th. So I would say my parents, because my mom became his second caretaker, she had to learn all of his care. I mean, what grandma wants to like learn how to change her grandson's airway and like troubleshoot off? So for 
I would say for the first for, for you know four years, we lived with them for three and a half, and then I got the job. Was able to had saved up enough money and bought our own townhouse. My dad told me later that my mom, for the first, you know, we so we lived with them for three and a half years. For the first week or two, she would just walk around the house crying because you know we had lived with her and like and her grandson. And she would just walk around the house. It was so fun. We just start crying, and but they, you know, they were excited for me. But it was just very much a change. And I think um, even while I was dating or kind of figuring things out, or she would still, I mean, she came over and. You know, they helped us move in and like planted flowers and did stuff, landscaping stuff. And so my mom and I would get together, you know, quite regularly because, you know, I was a single mom and she, you know, was super supportive of Owen. And, and Owen very much is who he is today because of the sacrifice that she took and feeding him and doing all his helping me with his, his care. I mean, so it, it was definitely a change actually when we got married because I kind of had to, separate that relationship and I wasn't I didn't need to rely on her as much anymore and I mean I think we're in a much better place now but I know even our wedding it was it was a little different um but and so now it's been I think the role of my husband so um him challenging me and supporting me um I just backed out I so we have a SUV that we got the other day and or we've had it for almost a year now because there's you know five of us and we need a third row sometimes to separate children so they're not all together and so I was heading out to go to Target and was not in a rush and I backed out and bent back one of the rearview mirrors like really bad like scraped it against the against the garage door and I texted him sent a picture and I thought I'm like oh how's he gonna respond he said oh boy and I was like, oh my gosh, this is going to cost us so much money. And he's like, um, yeah, it'll probably cost like $400. And I'm like, oh, I'm, like, I'm so sorry. I'm so, and he was just like, well, it's just, that's what happened. I don't know. So like that. I was like screaming. Like I wasn't, I was like screaming in the car. I was like, what did I just do? I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. And he was just, so he's holding my iced coffee. When I like freak out or the type yeah. A personality I have, he's like the super chill, like, you know, so we're definitely a good balance, but he's, yeah. So when things get crazy or wild, he like has great perspective. The last question that we have for you is, um, do you have any goals for 2020? I'd like to really kind of get a better understanding of the long-term prognosis for Owen and just kind of seeing him. He's doing really well. He's had really good teachers the last few years, but um, really just kind of seeing him develop some more, um, I think building a, you know, strong relationship with my stepdaughters as well. I mean, they're 12 and 16 in a few weeks. And so that's a challenging age. And just really, I think supporting Brian as he, you know, finishes his bachelor's in May. He's going right into his master's for the next two years. And so just kind of really seeing that. But I also kind of just want to kind of sit back and I just want to enjoy this time. Like this is a, this is a great time. I mean, they're 10, 12 and 16 um and so it's just a really it's it's a fun time i just want to make lots of memories and do fun things because you know life's kind of come full circle but i don't want to settle and you know i just want to make the most of this time while you know while they're all still kids and we can have fun and that's what we're trying to focus on because 
a lot of times when people make New Year's resolutions, it's all about things they want to change about themselves. And it's almost like they're trying to earn value or like mm-hmm. add value to themselves. And I, I really believe that God means for us to know our value and then mm-hmm. grow into how he sees us. So I yeah. love that you're like, yeah, I just want to appreciate all that I have right now. Yeah. And I think that's so important. So yes, I, I love that. And Thank you so much for sharing with us. I think a lot of people can be encouraged by your story. I'm glad that I got to be a tiny little piece of your story. Yeah, I appreciate those ice chips. You fed me that. And I (laughs) thank you. We're so honored that you'd speak to us. Thank you. Best of luck with your your PhD and come back and talk to us again. We would love that. Yeah, it was great. It was fun. Thank you. I hope you were super empowered and encouraged by Amanda's story, and I hope you see the beauty of connection, however you connect it with her story, and I hope it inspires you to be real about your story. And my prayer for us as we are dealing with all of the intricacies of the coronavirus, my prayer is that we find ways in this time to build real connections with people. Of course, we would love for you to connect with us on our Hold My Ice Coffee Facebook page or our website, holdmyicecoffee.com. And so (laughs) I have to change my little um, blurb for you at the end now because don't go out, stay home, be real, find connections, and we'll hold your iced coffee for you.